You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Well, hey, everybody. It's so good to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew uh, verse by verse, learning. Got a lot of great feedback from the last few weeks. Want to continue that as well. Want to remind you that we are in person May 2nd at um, at Hunter College. And we are hoping to see you there as well. Let me encourage you. We're gathering carefully and cautiously following all protocols. And because of that, we need you to, there's an app and a couple of things you got to do. It's not that complicated, uh, particularly as we get into the system. It's worth it so that we can gather together. So I encourage you to be there as well. I want to talk about John the Baptist today. And really, it's not just about John the Baptist. It's about the importance of repentance. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as we look at the issue of um, of the, the person and the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, um, you could call him John the Baptizer. You know, that's, I mean, ultimately he's not like the Baptist in the sense that our church is a Baptist church. And it gets a little confusing, actually, if you go down to right behind Madison Square Garden coming down from our side, uh, you'll actually come into uh, St. John the Baptist Roman Catholic Church. So it's like, okay, so what does that mean? Well, because we're a, we're a Baptist church, which um, partly that comes from historically meaning that we believe that baptism should follow uh, conversion, that a person should make a decision to be baptized. Yet all different kinds of traditions still recognize John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. So, uh, so And his message is central. And what he does with baptism has both connection and some disconnection with what we do as we practice believer's baptism. Okay, well, we're going to get to all that, right? So let's first talk about um, kind of vision statements, right? I actually help churches uh, sometimes make vision statements. We're a church where everyone is someone. At Calvary, our, we- our, our website, it says, engaging the city and impacting the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Well, um, so there's actually a, John the Baptist kind of has a statement as well. It's real simple. It's, hey repent. That's kind of it, right? So it's, hey, repent. So so we're going to look at issues of repentance kind of throughout the um, the gospel of Matthew. But here in particular, we find lots of uh, references to repentance in, in, in John the Baptist's ministry, right? We see that a lot. Um, and again, this is not just John the Baptist as well, but this is something we see in the life and teaching of Jesus and more. Um, you know, Jesus calls for repentance. But we're going to look particularly at John the Baptist or John the Baptizer and um, his message uh, of of repentance as well, because it both is a uh, predecessor and a precursor to Jesus' message. Um, well, we'll go through it. Let me not jump ahead of myself. Okay, so start with me in uh, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter three. Excuse me, Matthew, chapter three, beginning at verse one. It says this: In those days. Uh, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Now, if you got to remember that phrase is the phrase that Jesus uses. So we're going to get to that in just a minute, right? There's continuity here and some discontinuity. But it says, for this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, 
This is Matthew describing John. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore, and it's strange, why are we talking about his clothing? We're going to get to that. There's a lot here. Uh, now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Um, I have a leather belt on right now, but not camel's hair. But, and there's a reason for that. But, and his food was locusts and wild honey. What's the point? We're going to get to that. Um, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So repentance is key here, and really key to the Christian life. But really, the, um, the bigger theme is the, uh, is the kingdom of heaven has come and is present in Christ, and those who submit to Christ through repentance. So repentance is key here. And John the Baptist is basically a pointer, right? Think of you point with a finger or maybe for me, I always think of those uh, people who stand outside in front of uh, the strip mall and they go have the big finger and it, they spring it, they swing it around and it points to, you know, in here is a cell phone sale, right? Well, John the Baptist is like that. He's basically a big pointer, pointing people to repentance and pointing people to Jesus. Now, Creation points to God in a general sense. Actually, according to Romans 1, there's all kinds of stuff about that in Romans 1. But John the Baptist is pointing specifically to Jesus when he walked on the earth. So John the baptizer points to repentance in Jesus as central to the Christian life. Let me say it again. John the baptizer points to repentance and Jesus as central to the Christian life. So uh, that's what we're going to look at and kind of walk through this passage together, right? So we've gone through the first section of it. Let's go to the first point in the message. Uh, John the Baptist, a prophet heralding the Messiah. It says this, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, wilderness of Judea. So we see this kind of, um, I guess you could say unassuming prophet draws a crowd but not because of his personality, but because of his message. And it's interesting because the phrase um, in those days is kind of vague uh, here in Matthew, but the gospels, the other gospels give us a fuller timeline. The events are occurring probably between 26 and 36 AD uh, during the time Pontius Pilate's rule in the area. The, setter, the setting is the wilderness of Judea, likely the east side of the Jordan River. Now, the and this is key here. So the 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 phrase the what it says the voice of the voice crying out in the wilderness. It's not just a geography thing that he's in the wilderness. Um and and in some ways but not specifically tying him to Isaiah. Uh, but really re- just reminding us that it was in the wilderness um after the people escaped Egypt, you know, God being at work, we talked some about that last week, uh, escaping Egypt, that, um, that what happened is people began to, the people of God began to understand the fullness of their, their identity as the people of God. So, um, so there's kind of a um, foreshadowing here, right, through the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven uh, and a call to people to follow God. So John the Baptist is is um, is more than a prophet. Now we have to be careful; he's not too seen as too much more than that. We'll actually 
talk about an encounter I had with an Uber driver who actually was in a religion that sees John the Baptist as the last and greatest of the prophets, which is um, such a misunderstanding of John the Baptist. Imagine seeing um, that pointer, you know, pointing to that cell phone store and thinking the pointer was the point. No, the pointer is not the point. The pointer points to the cell phone. John the Baptist points to uh, to Jesus. And so John the Baptist is more than a prophet, but he's a prophet that prepares the way for the Messiah. It prepares the way for the Messiah. And we see this uh, later, later on. We see this later on where it says, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. Remember, I just said John the Baptist is more than a prophet, right? This is, um, this is he of whom is written, behold, I send you, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So there's a lot of, a lot of important things going on just in that passage. That passage is doing a lot of uh, work for us and carrying a lot of weight for us, right? So it tells us a couple of things. It tells us first that John the Baptist is this significant um, prophet. No one greater born of a woman, right? And so John the Baptist is a significant prophet. But then it says, well, but those in the kingdom of heaven are greater, uh, are greater than he. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Because uh, why? Because John the Baptist isn't walking in the fullness of that relationship with Christ that literally people who would then kind of post the resurrection, uh, post the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, would actually be um, born again and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, John the Baptist is saved just like um, all of us are saved uh, by Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and in our place. Everyone in the Old Testament looks, just as we talk about Moses, looks to and looks forward to the coming of the Messiah. And John the Baptist would be in that era. We, we actually know he... He loses his life, right, before Jesus dies on the cross and is risen from the dead. So there's both, he's a great, significant prophet, no one greater, uh, born of a woman, and compared to what's about to come, that which he points to, that which he heralds, uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, it, it, it's it's incomparable even to the greatness of a prophet like like John the baptizer. Okay, so, um, so there was an expectation, a little background here, there's an expectation that um, some, uh, among some, that Elijah would actually come back before the Messiah. This is uh, talked about a lot in what's uh, called the apocryphal literature. So there's a lot of apocryphal literature. The book of Revelation is apocryphal liter literature. It's a kind of a genre we describe the Bible. But there's a lot of it going on, right? There's a lot of it being published um, before in the what we call the intertestamental period. So between the Old Testament and New Testament, but also, some of this is straight out of Scripture. So, but there's an expectation that Elijah would come back before the Messiah based specifically on the words at the end of Malachi. Now, what I'm saying to you is Malachi says this, but there's also a lot of other literature that says this or speaks about this that's published in the few hundred years between the end of the Old Testament, which is in the book of Malachi, and the beginning of the New Testament. And uh, so, so it's actually based on the, the words, Elijah, based on the words at the end of the, uh, of the, of the book of Malachi. But, and it's actually quoted in John chapter 1, verse 21. Let's take a look. It says, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? 
And he answered, no. So these are actually questions that they're asking to clarify who, this is a question that's asked to John the Baptist. But so John says, I'm not Elijah and I'm not the prophet. So what, what is he saying here? If he says that specifically um, in the gospel of John, um, where he says, I, when he's asked specifically, he says, I'm not. Now he could, I mean, he might not be telling them the whole story, but that's not actually what's going on. So it says, um, it says they, they, they um, kind of brought before John the Baptist and asked, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? He says, no. But John was the fulfillment of the Malachi passage. He was not the reincarnation of Elijah, but he came in the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist actually answers, uh, Elijah does, he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him, but did to him, let me put this on the screen so you can see it and follow along. Um, Elijah does come um, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will also suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is a really significant figure. These are the words of, of Luke describing, right? So, um, but the Elijah has come and has already come. But what we see is, is well, let's take a look at Luke 1.17. Um, it says, speaking of the words of Luke here, that he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is actually quoting that passage in Malachi, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, right? So, so this is key, right? So this, the key is the, the turning of their hearts, right? To turn, uh, to repent. Jesus is super clear about who John the Baptist is, that he's the guy before the guy. He's the guy before the guy. Um, and Jesus is the guy he's referring to. Matthew chapter uh, 11, verses 13 and 14 says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. This is John the Baptist. So all the prophets of the law prophesied until John. So John is the last of the prophets. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So there's a lot going on here that's very theological rich about John the Baptist is not the reincarnation, but he comes with the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus speaks to him as Elijah, who is to come. Um, and what's fascinating is I mentioned earlier, I was trying to get it, probably getting ahead of myself, but even his clothes serve a purpose to let us know this, right? It says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Uh, I've never had a locust. I've eaten a cricket. I guess that's close. Um, some places do that. But there's some reasons. I'm going to explain. There's some reasons. So his clothing and his diet are literally included to uh, demonstrate his authority in the prophetic proclamation. His clothing and his diet themselves demonstrate his authority and proclamation. So uh, the camel hair garment and a leather belt link him with Elijah. Um, it actually describes um, prophets as wearing hairy cloaks, right? Because uh, again, you got to think in terms of people were wearing, um, in some cases, animal skins, right? So we didn't, they didn't have necessarily the things that would create a shirt like this. Uh, and here's interesting too, don't miss this. So what's the deal with locusts? Locusts are the only insect acceptable to eat under Mosaic law. 
Uh, this is in Leviticus 11, 20 and 23. Honey reminds us of the description of the promised land as the Israelites spied it out in Numbers 13, 27. So the way he dressed and the food he ate depicted his authority as a prophet, no less or influential or significant than Isaiah or Elijah. Now, we think of Isaiah and we think of a book of the Bible. But what we find is, is information ultimately about John the Baptist is um, in a kind of a prophetic foretelling is found in 2 Kings 1.8, Zechariah 13.4, Leviticus 11, uh, 20-23, Numbers 13.27. You can go look through all of those, but John the Baptist, I don't want you to miss this, is basically a pointer pointing people to Jesus, who is the Messiah. Um, and this word for preaching is, when we see the word preaching in the New Testament, it's not generally referring to what I'm doing now, which is, I guess, a combination of preaching and teaching. It's a different feel. Uh, when we're in person. Did I mention we're going to be in person next week? Let me hope to see you there next week in person. But it's to declare good news. So John the baptizer is declaring or heralding that the Messiah is has come. And he's pointing to the Messiah and ultimately calling us to follow him. So, um, so John the baptizer points to repentance and Jesus as just the center of the Christian life. Okay, so that's uh, number one on our outline. Number two on our outline is, uh, is, is John the Baptist is a preacher announcing the kingdom. Is a preacher announcing the kingdom. He specifically says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the key is there's more about to come, lots more. But... This kingdom message is basically the message of Jesus over 80 times in the Gospels. He says over and over again. So remember that we look at John the Baptist saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven uh, is at hand. But then Jesus says, literally, look, I'm just, I press the buttons. It's literally the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's uh, continuity in the message. There's some discontinuity. They're not, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, particularly related to baptism and more. But John the Baptist is a, herald, right? He's pointing to the coming of the Messiah. So repentance is more than just to stop sinning. It's a call to start walking with, to turn a different direction, right? So repentance in its most specific form in the New Testament, in the word itself, means to change directions, right? It's a turn from and a turn to. Now, I will tell you today, 2,000 years after this happens, people, um, I don't find a lot of people who are against um, there are some who are against me saying you should love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It's, you know what gets people mad is when you tell them that Jesus' message is repentance. Now, what they, they know is Jesus, didn't Jesus say, judge not lest ye be judged? It's the only time everyone quotes King James English in their life. Judge not lest ye be judged. Yeah, he does say that. That's not the only thing he says. He also says, repent so what does repentance assume? It assumes there's sin. It assumes there's a change in direction. It, include, it includes, in the original word in the Greek language, a turning from that sin and the other direction and changing direction. And it's a turn from and a turn to. So his John the Baptist message 2,000 years ago is not popular then. Wasn't easier popular, but still truthful and effective. It's not popular now. There's an urgency in the language too, a now or never tone. The kingdom has arrived. You need to decide where your citizenship lies and notice the order too. Repentance comes because the kingdom is here. 
We don't repent to bring about the kingdom. God's gracious rule has already arrived. We're invited to join him in that. The kingdom of heaven, and, and notice throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is the Jewish way of saying the kingdom of God. It means God's rule. Uh, Jewish people wouldn't use the word God uh, or write the word God, and so you'll see it less so in the Gospel of Matthew, which is written to a Jewish people. So John the baptizer is proclaiming that God's rule is coming to earth in ways that have not been seen since Genesis 2. And we'll learn later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven in breaking into the world, people obeying God in the same way that inhabitants of the kingdom of heaven do. So the idea of God's rule on earth is kind of pregnant in the prophets. Um, the, this is not an uncommon theme. So, um, so the prophet, you know, in this case, the, the, the last and greatest of the prophets, tells the most details about the Messiah coming. Right? But we see in the other prophets, there's, there's references and hints on this as well. But we, we see it throughout. For example, we can go back to uh, Zechariah uh, 14.9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord be, will be one and his name one. So, so, so again, we see the pregnant in the prophets, but now in John the Baptist, it's right here. John the Baptist is like delivering, to follow that metaphor, delivering the final message before the coming of the Messiah, the coming of King Jesus. Um, so according to John, the kingdom has arrived. Um, at hand actually means it's present, not that it's on the way. It's not a, a chronological at hand. It's not that... Um, it's, it's almost there. It's, it's instead, it's physically or it's, it's a locally present. So God's sovereign rule has arrived and listeners must decide who to follow. So John the Baptist is basically a pointer, pointing people to repentance, pointing people to Jesus. John the baptizer points to repentance and repentance in Jesus as central to the Christian life. So John the Baptist, right, number three in our outline, um, the promised one preparing the Lord's way. Uh, now, there's, there's, this is actually, uh, my, my, my punctuation is going to look a little stranger because there are like quotes within quotes for, but this is what it says in Matthew chapter three, verse three. It says, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So uh, the phrase that was uttered is prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that's in a set of quotes. And then it's actually spoken of by the prophet Isaiah who said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness and then it's Matthew that we're actually quoting that describes this. But the interwovenness of the scriptures here are really powerful and remarkable, right? John comes as a prophet, a foretold prophet. I mean, we're, we literally, not just is John a prophet, but he's a foretold prophet to prepare the way of the Lord. Back to Isaiah 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that's John the Baptist, right? For he, this is he, that's talking about John the Baptist, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. So John is not just a prophet prophesying the coming of the Messiah. He's actually a prophet who has been prophetically foretold to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, Isaiah 39 there, and right before Isaiah 40, declares that judgment is coming to Judah. Uh, and Isaiah prophesies to King Hezekiah that Babylon is coming soon and will overthrow the kingdom. Uh, and he learns in uh, Isaiah 39, 7, that some of his own sons, descendants, will be carried away as prisoners. But immediately following this, Isaiah 40 is a beautiful passage about comfort. It begins actually in verse 1, because uh, we get to verse 3 in just a minute. Um, remember, this is verse 3. 
But it begins in verse 1. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Verse 2 says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare has ended, that her iniquity has, uh, her warfare has ended, excuse me. Uh, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And no sooner is that message of disaster given that a message of comfort comes. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So in Isaiah 40, God is declaring he will come to the aid of his people. In Matthew 3, the gospel writer Matthew is linking this directly to John the baptizer who's blazing a path for Jesus' arrival. So John's role, John the Baptist's role, according to Matthew, is to be a herald for the Messiah. He's to prepare the way, clear the path, till the soil for planting, to gain the attention of the people so they might tune into Jesus' um, message. So John the Baptist is a pointer. I told you earlier that I had a uh, Uber driver not this, not that long ago, a couple, maybe two, three years ago. He was a, uh, a follower of a religion that was actually in the news, I guess it was more than two years ago, but it was, in, it was the time when we saw Iraq and ISIS and more. Uh, and, and there's a religion, there's actually what's called an ethno-linguistic, uh, an ethno-religious people group, the Mandeans. They see John the Baptist as the last and final prophet, the greatest prophet. And, um, and my conversation with him, I, it, was, it was a fascinating conversation. What a privilege to share the gospel uh, with him. I wanted him to know that John was not the guy. He knew Jesus was the guy, and I wanted him to know Jesus too. John the Baptist is a pointer. He's, he's, uh, he's a foretold prophet, but he's a prophet who, for, who points to Jesus, pointing people to repentance, pointing people to Jesus. Um, John the Baptizer points to repentance, and Jesus is central to the Christian life. Number four uh, is John the Baptist. We have a pronouncement of the cleansing of sin. I told you earlier that there are some ways there's continuity, in some ways there's discontinuity. So we'll look at that here. But it says then, uh, I'm sorry, I got number, here's number four. John the Baptist, a pronouncement of the cleansing of sin, right? So then it says, then Jerusalem and all Judea. Now, all is a common term in the Bible. It doesn't mean every single person, but it was known all over. Well, we say that now, all over. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So the baptism of John is a key issue uh, for us to look at. What is What is this? baptism. Um, so John, and note the confessing, John's message, you'll see right here, confessing their sins. So John's message is one of repentance. And actually, we actually see this specifically in Acts 19, it's on your screen, but Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. This is Acts 19.4, if you want to jot that down. Telling people believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. His message was like the Old Testament prophets, calling on God's people to return to God. Um, to in, in some ways, it's similar to our term conversion. It's a change of allegiance or a realignment of priorities. Repentance is uh, here just a prerequisite of experiencing and walking under the reign of God. Repentance is it's a whole process of change. The picture is to turn away from one thing and to another. It's an inward change of how we feel about things and our convictions and more. And it's turned to Christ as well. So all of that is kind of packed into the idea uh, of repentance. Now, what would happen here is that, um, that that we're seeing the necessity of that repentance and that call to that repentance. And, and people who would, um, who would hear would respond with confession of sin and baptism. Now, his baptism 
is a unique historical event. We're actually not baptized into the baptism of John the Baptist. So Jews then would baptize Gentile converts, but Jews did not receive baptism because they were already clean through Abraham, which actually comes up later. Um, so, so, so here are people now, and kind of implicit in John the baptizer's message and his baptism is a critique of the life of the Jewish people in that day, in their society. They, 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 they because of their descent, because, they, because of their ancestors, they thought they were already just in God's eyes. There's no need for a call to repentance, and there, there's no need for them to be baptized. They would baptize Gentiles. And so for Jews to receive baptism is to admit that their Jewishness did not guarantee them right standing before God. And it's a reminder that genetic lineage does not make you a citizen in God's kingdom. Still true today, right? So when they say we have Abraham as our father, um, we see them saying we have Abraham as our father. Um, okay, but you still need Jesus as your savior, right? Whether you have Abraham as your father, you still need Jesus as your savior. Look at Malachi chapter four, um, as we come to a kind of a close. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the, the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, note the turning. And here's where I wanna to come to as we close. Note this, repentance, we think of it negatively, but it's actually positive. It's a good thing to get right with God. It's a good thing that God loves us so much that even sinners, um, he made a way for sinners. Now, John the Baptist has this baptism uh, of John, right? We actually hear that later on, a reference to that. Um, That's reminding the Jewish people that um, they still need to come in repentance. We need, um, they need to come to before God, to be right before God. Uh, John the baptizer is preparing the way, he's pointing to Jesus, but he's also pointing to as I've said several times, um, that, that, that there's repentance in Jesus is just central to the Christian life. Now, more than that, but just central, right? We need a gospel-centered and repentance-filled life. In the gospel, people think, well, I repented of my sin. I want you to hear that the gospel is not something you get over. It's something you live in. I live a life of repentance. And if you don't come to repentance, God will bring you to repentance. John Calvin said this, our heart is an idle factory. So that's why every day you and I have to die to self and to live for Christ. So all this talk about repentance in John the Baptist, who's a forerunner, who's a pointer, whose baptism is reminding the people that they need to make their hearts right, they need to repentance. But I'm gonna need to repent today. I'm gonna need to repent tomorrow. So far, I've never had a day when I maybe had to say, okay, nope, I said to the Lord, Lord, do I need to repent everything? Nope, you're good. We got it all covered. Thanks for checking. Nope. So John the baptizer is actually pointing us to a needful repentance. All the people of the region, pointing them to a needful repentance and following in this baptism of John, that they would later see that there's a greater baptism. Uh, the baptism, Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, right? And, uh, and, and again, that's language from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, so it's a reminder that John's pointing us to something else, pointing to repentance, pointing people to Jesus, uh, that repentance and Jesus are central to the Christian life. Um, and so what I want us to not miss today is the beauty of repentance. So when we hear about John the baptizer, we shouldn't just hear about baptism. We should hear about a baptism of repentance, that the people of God, even because of their lineage, were, of Ab were Abraham's children, still needed to repent. But John also knew that the full repentance that people needed was coming still. 
John the baptizer is with the Lord today because of what God has done in Christ. So not talk of repentance today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to experience the joy of repentance. To say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I repent of it. I turn from it. I turn a different direction. I make a 180. I move in a different path. I want to invite you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to trust and follow him. And um, you can just simply say to the Lord, Lord, I, I, I come before you. And you could pray. Maybe, maybe pray with me in just a moment. Repent, trust, and follow Jesus. That's a beautiful message. John the Baptist gives the message. He's a forerunner. He's a pointer to Jesus who brings the ultimate repentance as well. Um, and let me say, too, that if you're a follower of Jesus, your repentance doesn't end. I have the beauty, you have the beauty, we have the beauty of living a repentance-filled life with a God who welcomes us every time we repent. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you read about John the baptizer, I want you to read with joy the invitation to repent. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's an invitation to repent and follow Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's an invitation to repent and walk in his ways, walk in his paths. That's John the Baptist's message. He was a pointer to Jesus. And so we follow him and we follow King Jesus and we repent because the kingdom of God has indeed come near. Let's pray together. And I'm going to actually pray both for if you're not a follower of Jesus, give the opportunity to respond. And if you are a follower of Jesus, give the opportunity to walk in the beauty of that ongoing repentance. Lord, thank you. Thank you that repentance is so evident in the gospel of Matthew and the teachings of scripture. Lord, we thank you that the message of repentance that John the Baptist preached prepared a people for the message of repentance and new life that Jesus proclaimed and that the disciples proclaimed and that we proclaim today. Father, I pray for those who may not know you and that you might speak to their hearts today. Maybe that's you today. Maybe uh, take just a moment. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to trust and follow him. You've heard about repentance. I've explained it. Let's walk in it. If that's your prayer, I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, I repent and I turn from my own ways. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. And Lord, I trust and follow you. I receive the new life you've given me. And Father, I pray for women and men who may have just shared that and that they might indeed have just the boldness to share that, uh, may have just trusted Christ to share that with us so we might walk this journey of new life together. And Father, I pray for those who are followers of Jesus that you would help us even now to think on what might we repent? What, how, how can we have the joy of repenting today? And if that's you, maybe just take just a moment and say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. I repent, but I don't just ask for some random confession or forgiveness. I repent. I turn from my ways and I follow yours. Father, that's our prayer. May we live that life. May we be reminded that John the Baptist points us to that joy-filled, repentance-filled, gospel-shaped life. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212 212- Nine seven five zero one seven zero. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.